0: Well it's interesting because we're doing this series on discipleship and I'm sure in the back of a lot of your minds as we began this series uh on making disciples, um you kind of wondered when uh Matthew twenty-eight would come up. And I don't know why, but uh, I, well I do know why I started away from Matthew twenty-eight, and you'll know the reasons if you heard those sermons. But yeah, I've sort of been keeping Matthew twenty-eight at arm's length, or I've it's kind of been in the background, kinda of keeping it in my pocket, not sure when we would get there and it occurred to me uh, this week as i was uh, sort of wrestling with the message for this morning uh, when the 115th anniversary came up i realized this is probably the time now to preach on the great commission on uh, matthew 28:18 to 20 because i'm sure uh, when they founded this church and it was not exactly here for the first uh, few decades it was actually the church across the lake uh, over by where baked and battered is now and uh, I'm sure in that first, I would say even the first month, I'm sure if not the first sermon, one of the first few sermons that was preached as that church was founded was on Matthew 28:18 to 20, because it is the Great Commission. And it's good. It's a good thing for every church to pause and reflect on the Great Commission and ask if we are obeying it. And uh, if we do stop and reflect on this, I think we may find that it, it, we're surprised by what it asks us to do, and we're challenged by how it asks us to do it. We kind of think of the Great Commission uh, as something that's a big challenge. You know, it talks about making disciples of the whole world, all the nations, and we think of it as something that's challenging. But I think in the back of our mind, we look at the Great Commission and we think of it as ultimately something that we can do. But this morning, I'm going to suggest that the Great Commission asks us to do something actually that's impossible for us. It's an impossible mission. And yet, since we're told to do it, it, at the other hand, must also be possible. And so it's both the impossible and possible mission that we're given. And the impossible mission is making disciples. You remember Nicodemus, the Pharisee, he went at night in secret to talk to Jesus about who he was and what he taught and about being born again and Jesus answers to Nicodemus and he says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes and so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit and so ultimately when you read Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to 20 and it talks about making disciples we have to admit we don't make disciples the Holy Spirit makes disciples God makes disciples it's impossible for us to make disciples The making of a disciple is only possible by the Spirit of God. How can we control it? But then in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, Jesus tells us that God has included us in his disciple-making plan. He says, you are to go and make disciples. And so it's also the possible mission of making disciples when we are obedient to being the means of God's grace of going out into the world and sharing his gospel. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is the impossible possible mission of the Great Commission. Let me just pray before we read God's word in Matthew 28. Father God, this is uh, this is what your church is all about today. This is your commandment to us. And so Lord, we look at it um, seriously and we consider the implications of what it says. And uh, I ask that uh, you would uh, put in our hearts uh, how we can follow it and how we continue to obey it here at Lakeside pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20 reads, And Jesus came and said to them, being his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is God's word to us this morning. And so we're in this season of focus on discipleship and learning about it and providing opportunities towards it, and we have this impossible mission. Jesus is telling us that we are to go and make disciples, and we actually can't make disciples because disciples are not just people who have prayed a certain prayer or have signed a card at the end of an event, or have answered certain questions that affirm a doctrinal statement, or even people that have joined their names in membership to a local church. Those aren't disciples. Disciples are people who believe what Jesus believes, and they live how Jesus taught them to live. And as we learned, disciples are people who have made Jesus and the kingdom of God their greatest affection and treasure. And I can't produce that in another human being. I can't make that happen. And you can't produce that in another human being. Only the Holy Spirit can produce that kind of heart change in a human being. And so we're asked to make disciples when in fact we can't. And so we have to depend upon God and on the Holy Spirit to make disciples. But make no mistake, that is our goal. That is the great commission that has been given to the disciples of Jesus Christ. It's the calling of the church. We are to see lives radically transformed. We want to see human beings that love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart and soul and mind and strength and their neighbor as themselves. We want to see people who are consumed with delight in God. And we can't create that. Only God can do that. And God says, that's what you're aiming at in the Great Commission, and you can't do it. But God has a means by which that happens. And we often forget that. And we talked a little bit about this one We were back in our series in Colossians in the spring, that we often think about grace or we think about salvation and how God does it or the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works. And we think about it very much in a mystical sense, that somehow God just makes these things happen. And we forget that God, although it is by his power, by his grace, by his spirit, he uses means to accomplish it. There is a method in which God accomplishes His purpose and a means through which He accomplishes through His grace and through His Holy Spirit. And we are the means. And so we are participating with God and with the Holy Spirit in this disciple-making process. And so what is the possible mission that God has given us in disciple-making? And when you read this text, um, 28, Uh, 18 to 20, it's easy to see two really clear commands that are given, baptizing and teaching. Those are the ones we pick up on right away. But what's more difficult to pick out mainly in the English translation is that there's another verb or there's another action word or command in here too. And it's the word go in your English translation. And so in the Greek, it would read more clearly as actually going, baptizing, teaching. These are the three means or the three possible missions that we have as a church going baptizing and teaching and that is jesus's instruction to us on how we're meant to participate in his plan to make disciples by his holy spirit it's how we are meant to be the means through which the holy spirit works in disciple making by grace and so what are these means of grace in disciple making and first we'll look at the first one we're going we have to go and so this text is always brought out at missions conferences or missions meetings. People bring this out because it's going into the world and it's uh, it's the going being emphasized, which is proper because Jesus is here speaking of saying going into all the nations. But its application also has a far less global scale. And the going for Paul, when we think of the Apostle Paul, was indeed going out to the nations. Paul went out to... Um, the Gentiles, he went out to the Roman world, the Greek world, to to the Middle East, and to Asia Minor. And for Paul, it was going. But if you think about the going for Peter, the going for Peter was simply going to the Jews. It was, in fact, for the most part, staying in Jerusalem and serving in Jerusalem. So the, the going for Peter was just going around town. It wasn't going out to another nation. It was just going around the city, just to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And a number of commentators actually like to make the point that this word go, or I," is used very commonly as to go on one's way, or as you go. And so in other words, it would be a legitimate reading of this to say, as you go, then you are to baptize and to teach as you go about in your normal life as you make your way in life as you are on your way be on this task of making disciples and so we can't walk away from this verse and say well this is for missionaries this is for people who are going out into the nations and making disciples you can't walk away from it saying that because it's really saying as you go on your way be on this task, be on this commission of making disciples, and we'll see why that lands home even more firmly in the other commands that were given. So this is our part in the work of the Holy Spirit. Make disciples as we go. We read in 1 Peter 3.15, Set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. When do you give that answer? Well, just while you're at work just while you're at the grocery store, just while you're sitting waiting for your car to get repaired, you know, or getting the oil changed and you're in the waiting room. You are going about your life and you are ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. And that's part of disciple-making. And notice that it's deeply personal, or we might even say incarnational. That's a fancy word the last decade or so people have been using. That what's meant to be incarnational is meant to be personal. We are meant to personally be present with people. That we encounter them along our way and even specifically go to them and make the presence of Jesus known by being with them. It's, it's been noticed or, or sometimes thought about. It's interesting that Jesus came in the time period that he came. You know, Jesus could have come at any point in human history, really, uh, you know, give or take a few thousand years. But he came uh, in Palestine, in the Middle East, uh, when. His presence would be deeply personal and incarnational. Jesus did not come in 2010 or 2015 or 2011 and, you know, get a television contract or start blogging on the internet and just broadcast the message to the whole world through some sort of electronic means. Could have done that. That could have been his plan. But Jesus's plan was deeply personal. He came at a time in history when he would become incarnational, and he would engage people personally. And so this going is deeply personal. Jesus made disciples himself by going, first of all, from heaven to our earth, and then when here, by going from his home into the highways and the byways of Israel. Jesus went among the sick and among the poor and among the lepers. And he went among the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the party goers and Don't forget, he also went amongst the rich and the wise and the religious. He dined at the Pharisee houses too. And so Jesus incarnationally, personally brought the gospel to people as he went about his life, as he traveled through his country and met with all the different demographics that were available to him. Jesus went to everyone to show them the love of God and to teach them what the grace of God means for them. He showed them the love of God, and he told them the love of God. And so the first thing that we can do as we read this and we think about this great commission, we think about this great command and task that has been given the church, the first thing that we do as a means to the Holy Spirit's miracle of disciple-making and disciple-creating is that we can just go. Or as we go, we can be on the task of gospel showing and gospel telling. We can't control the outcome of that. We don't make disciples. God makes disciples. The Holy Spirit makes disciples. What we can do is we can be obedient and faithful to the going and to the showing and to the telling of the gospel. So the Holy Spirit uses us as a means. Or as Paul says in Romans 10, another verse that's often brought out at missions conferences but speaks directly to this in Romans 1014 to 15, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent or unless they go? And so as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is how God means to accomplish this great commission. He's going to do the disciple-making. The Holy Spirit's going to take care of that. But God intends that he'll use us. And for 115 years, he's been using Lakeside to do that. And we can praise God for that. That very early on, it's clear that Lakeside was committed to this mission. Well, they weren't Lakeside back then, but I'm just going to say Lakeside. This church, for 115 years, was committed to this mission. We wouldn't be here except that people brought the gospel as they went into this county. But secondly, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's there's actually a lot that we could unpack from the way this is phrased as a command, this second command, and and why it includes the words that it includes. But I'm just going to cover them quickly. And the first thing is just to notice that that phrase there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, implies a fundamental understanding of what disciples need to believe. And so Jesus is saying to his 11 disciples that are with him, as you go, this is what you are discipling them into. This is what you are baptizing them into, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It implies a fundamental understanding that we are to make disciples of the Trinitarian God, that disciples are those people that believe the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. And all of the implications that I could spend the next six months talking about that that implies. Right, that That just is a great big steamer trunk or gigantic suitcase of stuff that we could unpack the implications of what it means to be a disciple specifically of the Trinitarian God. We're not making disciples of the Muslim God. We're not making disciples of some Hindu God. We're not making disciples of any other God. We're making disciples of the Trinitarian God, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of that implies. He is God and His Holy Spirit is also and His Son is also. And disciples are accepting of the deity and the lordship of Jesus. And so this is what we are making. This is who our disciples are. And then secondly, baptizing reminds us also of where this disciple forming is mostly taking place, which is in community and in the local church. So disciple-making is a community project. Baptism is an ordinance that was instituted by Christ for the local church. It was a sign of entering into the community of believers. And there's a whole bunch we could unpack there about baptism. And Paul goes into all of that um, in various epistles. And baptism is this sign of entering into a community. It's entering into the, the nation of faith. And so by instituting baptism as part of the Great Commission, Jesus is essentially saying disciples identify themselves as such, and those that identify as such are meant to be together in community, in church. This is what church is. It is the baptized body of believers. And so when we look at the Great Commission, we realize and we're pointed towards this reality that disciple-making is a community project. That the point of baptizing people is to move them from one kingdom into another. That it's to move them from one nationality of the world and into the nationality of heaven. But even more importantly, overlooking some of the other implications we could go into, baptizing tells us again about the nature of disciples and the gospel that we are sharing In other words, disciples are men and women who are uniting themselves to the crucifixion and to the death of Jesus Christ and counting themselves dead to sin, but eternally alive in Jesus through his resurrection. Because that's what baptizing means. When we put somebody beneath the water, they are being baptized into the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and then raised up. We don't leave them under the water. That would be bad. They're raised up out of the water in newness of life. And so in the Great Commission, when we have this specific instruction to be baptizing, it's telling us these are the disciples that we're making, those that identify with Christ in his death and are dead to sin and risen in new life, eternal life in Christ Jesus. Those are the disciples that we are making. That is who disciples are. And so that's a lot that we could unpack in there. But at its core, it's Romans 6. And that's what the heart of that chapter is. Romans 6, 8 to 11 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. And so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's disciple-making. That's disciple-making, and that's why in the Great Commission we are told to baptize because disciples identify with this death and resurrection. They apprehend that. They appropriate that by grace. The free gift of God is that we can receive the death to our sin and the resurrection into eternal life because of what Christ has done. And that's why we baptize. That's why we call ourselves a Baptist church because if we can't, if we aren't, baptizing people and 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 we can't disciple if we're not doing it properly. We have to get to the point of baptism. We, you know, we can't uh, get to the point of baptism without a, a disciple or a potential disciple affirming, a man or a woman affirming that they have this understanding of their life in Christ. And so a big part of our disciple making is, is do you understand that? Do you understand that that Jesus is part of the Trinity. That He really is God. That He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And do you understand that you are identifying with Him in His death and in His resurrection? And do you understand that that puts to death your sin and that you now have eternal life because of what Jesus has done? That's, it's all bound up in there because you can't get to the point of baptizing somebody without making sure they understand that and they put their faith in Jesus. And so that's our great commission. It's why we baptize and it's why we're instructed to in Jesus' command. But for today, we see that this is something we can do. We we can't change people's hearts. We can't force them to trust God. We can't impart any grace upon them towards salvation or eternal life. We can't wash away their sin. I cannot absolve you of your sin. Only God can do that. But what we can do is we can teach them all that it means to be a baptized believer and welcome them into the community of God of Of God's people through baptism so that they receive all the benefits of that community that God has in store for them so that's the part we can do we can do the baptizing and we can do the welcoming into the community that God has for them and so that they then as they go do the same for others they can then become disciples that then witness to and testify of that message to others so that they become disciples and finally Jesus says is going And then there's baptizing and then he says teaching teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and this is where the idea from last week of running the race comes into the idea of discipleship this is where the idea of working out your salvation comes into discipleship this is where it finds its place in discipleship sharing the gospel and baptizing provides a means by which the holy spirit can make a new disciple The wind can blow as God wills and the Holy Spirit can fall upon someone's heart and convict them and God can transform them by His grace and His gift of faith that they would become a disciple. But then this last command lays out a lifetime of discipleship. As I talked about last week, that that becoming a disciple doesn't end with your salvation. It just begins with your salvation. And so the teaching to them to observe all that I have commanded you is now the ongoing lifetime of sanctification that that comes. And that is our responsibility to each other in this community of faith to teach each other. And it's easy to come away from this passage thinking that we just go and share the gospel and people get signed up and we baptize them and we've done our job. And as long as they know we're saved and they've got a Bible to read, we're good and we move on. But no, the Great Commission doesn't end there. The Great Commission says there's, it's way more comprehensive than that. You have to go on to teach them to observe. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And in the Greek, the word all here means all, it means everything. It's not tricky everything that I have said, Jesus says, which is, you know, just the application of the entire law that I've been teaching for the last three years. Oh, and, and don't forget all the stuff that I told you the Holy Spirit is going to reveal after I was gone. He says in John 14. And so you can't stop at the end of the gospels or only read the red letters and say, I've done my job of teaching everything that Jesus taught. No, this is a lifetime of learning. It's why we open up God's word every Sunday. And we look in the old Testament as well as the new, and we look in the gospels and the epistles, because we know as Jesus walked along with those men on the road to Emmaus, he opened up the scriptures, which was the Old Testament, and showed how all of them spoke of him. And so we can't get away reading this word all without realizing that it's all. That we teach all that Jesus has instructed, which is all of Jesus' presence in the Old Testament and all of his instruction and interpretation of the Old Testament law and how it applies in the New Testament and all of what the Holy Spirit revealed after he was gone, as Jesus testified he would. So all of the scripture needs to be taught. It's a lifetime of learning. And is why we do this every Sunday and open up his word because that is the start of this sort of discipleship. You come and you hear the Word of God spoken on a Sunday morning. And it's why I encourage you to open up the Bible every other day other than Sunday. Because you need to be in the Word of God learning all that Jesus has taught. So that you continue what started here. And it's why we're doing this series on discipleship. And I encouraged older Christians to disciple younger Christians. Because it's our job, it's our great commission to teach all that Jesus has taught. And then second to this point is notice that it doesn't just say teach them all I command. It could have just said that. It says teach them to observe all or to follow all or to do all. And so as disciples, the great commission, the great commandment to us is not enough for us to simply teach methodically or to teach mechanically and say, okay, I've done my teaching, I'm done. You know, I showed them where it was in the Bible, I explained to them what it means, I'm finished. There's a deeper imperative here that our teaching has to be effective in transformation. That we are to teach not just all that he commanded, but teach that the disciples would observe or follow or do all that was commanded. And so disciple-making here is not just a transference of information. It's transformation into a new way of life. Disciple-making is not just intellectual acquisition of knowledge. It's application of that knowledge in our heart and in our mind. Matthew 7.24 says, and Jesus is speaking here, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Notice he said, heard these words of mine and does them. And then many of you know where this goes after this. This is the man that built the house on the rock. Who's the next man? The man who heard the words and doesn't do them is a fool. (coughs) So Jesus is not saying it's not just about hearing the words. It's not just about the teaching. It's about the doing. And the doing is where the wisdom comes from. You can hear the words and not do them and be the fool whose house collapses. Or as James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. And so this idea of God following, this idea that we've been talking about of God treasuring, it's also God obeying. And it goes all the way back to Genesis. The joy of Adam and Eve and their peace in the garden was based on their obedience of what God told them and what God said. And then you'll remember the serpent came along and convinced them that their peace and their satisfaction and their fulfillment would actually come from disobeying what God said. And when they believed the serpent and disobeyed God, they collapse themselves and all of humanity into misery. Satan convinces us that joy comes from disobedience. He tries to convince us that by disobeying God, we will have greater pleasure. But a disciple knows joy comes not just from knowing what God said. Adam and Eve knew what they said, what God said. We know what God says. But a disciple knows that joy comes not just from knowing what God said, but obedience in what God said, doing what God has taught. And one of Satan's, I would say, top, he's got two or three really big lies. And one of his top three lies, I would say, is that obedience to God is drudgery. And that if you want joy in your life, you should disobey God. And that's a black lie. There is no joy in disobedience. Joy comes from hearing and doing word of God. And so if you want joy, you follow God, but Satan will try to tell you opposite. And a disciple on their best days treasures obedience like they treasure Christ. And we can't work that miracle in a person's life. We come back to the impossible mission. I can't work that miracle in your heart. You can't work that miracle in anybody else's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can work that miracle that turns a person from a non-disciple to a disciple, that turns a person's heart from seeking joy in disobedience to a person who finds joy in obedience. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But what we can do is we can teach. We can teach people the Word of God and teach them to observe what it says and the truth that joy comes from obedience. And finally on this point, What are we to teach is what I commanded. Or let's say the Word of God. Not to teach anything outside of what Jesus taught. Teach from the Old Testament and all that Scripture speaks of Him. Teach from the Gospels of how the love of God has come in the form of His Son in order to rescue us. Or teach in the New Testament, in the epistles and beyond, how the gospel is meant to transform our lives and how we're meant to live together as a body of believers in this world. That is what we teach. Discipleship is not teaching anything other than what is in the Word of God. And any other word, any other gospel, any other teaching is a false word and a false gospel. And so as we disciple, we are careful that we teach only What Jesus commanded, we teach only the word of God. And the more closely we hold to the true word of God in our teaching, the more powerfully the Holy Spirit is then able to work as a means through our discipleship. We can't do what only the Spirit can do, but we can teach the word of God that the Spirit has given us. The Spirit of God is working through His word, and that's our job. Or as Paul says to Timothy, his young protégé in 2 Timothy 4.2, he says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Because it is good for us to hear the Word of God. That's how we get discipled. And then Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so when we look at this instruction to teach, we teach what Jesus commanded. We teach and we instruct only from the Word of God. That's how the Holy Spirit can be our, a means or we can be a means to the Holy Spirit in making disciples. Even though we can't transform hearts, God has called us to this. This is the Great Commission. And it's an impossible mission. Only the Holy Spirit can soften a hard heart. Only the Holy Spirit can provide the faith that leads to salvation. But it is the possible mission that God has given us as a church to be the means by which His Spirit may be active through our obedience to this great commission. And I don't think it's an accident that Jesus' great commission of verse 19 and the first part of 20 is sandwiched in between an equally great claim and an equally great comfort. In verses 18 and the end of 20, In verse 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. That's the great claim. Jesus says, I have all authority and all power and all sovereignty. And this is not a command I give to you apart from the authority that I have. There's a reason that Jesus starts out this great commission by saying, I have all authority. And we are to take encouragement from the authority of Jesus and that it's being worked out in our following this command that he gives us. Paul says in Ephesians 3.7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. So This is the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I'm out here doing my part in the Great Commission. I'm a minister of this gospel, but it's not my power. It's because it's according to the gift of God which was given to me by the working of His power, His authority. And then he goes on, if you continue to read in Ephesians 3, he says, Even though I was the least of all saints, I could still preach the riches of Christ and bring light to everyone. And so Paul is saying, I'm not doing this out of my power. It's not me that's accomplishing this. It's because God has all the power. Jesus has claimed all the authority and has been given all authority. And then he gives us this commission. It's by the power and authority, all of which has been given to Jesus, that this disciple-making happens. And then the other, you know, the bottom of the sandwich with the Great Commission in between There's that great claim, and then there's a great comfort at the end of verse 20. Jesus says, look, I am with you always until the end of the age. That's the great comfort. We are not doing this apart from the eternal presence of Jesus by His Holy Spirit. John 14 says that Jesus went away so that the Comforter could come, the Holy Spirit could come. As Paul was making disciples in Corinth and trying to plant a church, he actually feared for his safety in the city of Corinth because of the evil and the opposition that he faced there. And Jesus, one night, comes to him in a vision and reminds him in Acts chapter 18, he says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So we have this great claim by Jesus that he has all authority. And then we have this great comfort that he is always with us and will never forsake us, even to the end of the age. And so as we consider the magnitude of this great commission, this great commandment in between, this impossible mission that we can't do, Jesus says, you're doing it in my authority, and I am never going to leave you. We have the claim and we have the comfort that goes with the commission. And that should encourage us. Because we have clear instruction on what we can do, trusting that it's through God's power and that it's His Holy Spirit that actually changes people's lives and hearts so that they become disciples. And this has been the great commission of the church for 2,000 years. This is what the church does, these three verses. And it's been the commission of Lakeside Church for 115 years. It's why you're sitting here today. Because disciples in Halliburton, 115 years ago, As they went about their lives, they showed and they told and they baptized and they taught with the authority of Jesus and they baptized and they taught only the Word of Jesus and with the power and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's what they did. That's the only reason we're here. They made disciples who made disciples, who made disciples. And if the Lord doesn't return, it'll be our commission for another 115 years. It's what we do. And so don't lay down your commission. Just keep calm and disciple on. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that we would take this great commission to heart, but not as something that we can do. You have given us an impossible mission but you've done it with the authority of Christ and with the presence of Christ. And so it becomes our possible mission that we can go and we can show and we can tell and we can baptize and we can teach and we can be part of this disciple-making process that is your church. Father, I pray that we would have the courage and wisdom and strength of your Holy Spirit as we go about this task for another 115 years, or as long as it is until you come again and take us all home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.